0: Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Hey, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am excited to be with you all during Advent, but especially for the Sunday before Christmas. My family, we take vacation every summer, and we go to the beach in California for a week. It's the best week of the year because we make memories together. We get uninhabited time together, right? It's not interrupted. And I love this. And two summers ago, while we were at the beach, I got to teach my oldest son, Wyatt, how to boogie board. It was a blast. Like, growing up at the beach, I loved boogie boarding. And so it was so much fun now having a son that's old enough to, like, go out and ride waves together. And so this last summer, six months ago, when we were at the beach... Wyatt decided that he was old enough to go boogie boarding alone. See, he's finished his swim lessons. He's a pretty strong swimmer. And so he felt like he had the courage that he could do this. And so I'm getting ready to take him out in the water like we usually do, go out in the water together. And he tells me, Dad, I don't need you. And I'm like... Man, I'm trying not to take this personally, you know? I was like, what do you mean you don't need me? Like, I'm ready to go out in the waves with you. I'm like, is this one of those things that people say as your kids get older, they don't wanna do stuff with you anymore? You know, like, am I experiencing that? I'm like, what the heck? You know what, I said, hey, you know what? that's cool, buddy, you can go. And so he took his boogie board and he went out to the water. But I knew that he would need help. I knew the power of the waves. And so without him knowing, I went out in the water behind him, just in case. And so Wyatt's out and he catches a couple waves and he rides them and he's having a blast. But out in the distance, I see that there's a swell forming. And as that swell gets closer, the wave starts to get bigger and it's coming up right to Wyatt. And as the wave curls, Wyatt is right underneath it, and this big wave comes crashing down right on top of him, and it knocks him off of his board, and it takes him under the water. And just as he springs up off the ocean floor to try to catch his breath, there's another big wave that comes, and it crashes right on top of him again and takes him back under. He's panicking. Disoriented from the waves that keep hitting him, he begins to feel the inability to breathe underwater. And as I'm out in the water, I see this, and so I rush over to him. And I stretch out my arm and I grab a hold of him and I pull him up out of the water. The outstretched arm saved him. Who is going to stretch out their arm to save you? When the waves of life come crashing down, when you realize you're in over your head, when maybe you feel like you can't even catch your breath, who is going to stretch out their arm to save you? As we look at the conclusion of Mary's prayer this morning. We're going to see how she answers this question. And so if you would, pick up your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 in the Magnificat that we've been tracking through the last four weeks, and we're going to be looking at the end of her prayer, specifically in verses 54 and 55. This is what Mary prays. She says, and he, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary, Mary's praying and she says, God has helped his servant Israel. So The first thing we see Mary celebrating is that Jesus is God's arm. He's God's arm. He is the outstretched arm of God to save. The language that Mary uses in her prayer, though, is in the past tense. He has helped. See, but she's speaking in what is known as the prophetic past tense. And what that means is that she's speaking about the future work of God as it being so certain that she's using past tense, that it's accomplished. And so she says, God has helped Israel. This word in the original language for helped means to take hold of. It's the image of an outstretched arm. See, this is significant in the Old Testament because the outstretched arm of God communicated the ways that God showed up for his people. The outstretched arm of God communicated the way that God helped his people, Israel, how God saved his people, Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy, it even shows up in the Psalms, there is this language where God's people celebrate and they declare, the Lord has delivered us from Egypt and it is with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Mary knows this, and she knows that Jesus is God's outstretched arm. The baby that Mary is carrying is the one who is going to reach out to take hold of his people as he heals, as he helps, as he delivers, and as he saves Jesus is God's arm stretching out to bring salvation to the world. Here's the most beautiful part about the outstretched arm of God, though. It's that he takes hold of you by his initiative. God takes hold of his people by his own initiative. Jesus, in the incarnation, as he puts on flesh, to come and dwell among us. Jesus is God's initiative to the world. He's God's initiative to bring about salvation. And he takes initiative because Jesus sees your need before you do. The reason why Jesus takes initiative is because he sees your need before you do and he takes action on your behalf. So the thing that made Wyatt wanna go out into the water by himself was that he didn't see his need for help. He wanted to be self-sufficient. He wanted to do it on his own. He thought he was big enough at age eight. He thought he was strong enough, but the reality is, he weighs sixty pounds in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and the power of the wind that that creates these waves. And in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, that's trillions and trillions of gallons of water. He didn't see his need, but I did. I saw his need before he did. We live in a society of self-sufficiency. We live in a society where actually the goal in life is to not need help. Like you can do it on your own, go it alone, right? And we actually want to do that so we can try to prove our strength. You can prove your success by not needing help from other people. You can prove your resiliency. And even the more dangerous thing is you try to prove your value and worth as a person by not needing help, by saying the very words that Wyatt said, I don't need help. And then in our society, it's almost a badge of honor that you wear. But the good news about God is that he sees your need before you do. Even when you don't see your need, God sees your need, he knows your need, and he doesn't wait for you to see it. But he takes initiative, and when he takes initiative, he takes hold of you with his outstretched arm. And as Jesus grabs a hold of you, he turns you from self-sufficiency to deep dependency on him. But I wonder, do you see that you need God's help? Because some of you are here this morning and you're swimming like Wyatt. You're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to be self-sufficient. And maybe you're trying to prove yourself by this. If that's you, how's that going for you? How's it working out? Maybe you might say, hey, it seems like it's going all right. But you were not made for self-sufficiency. You were created to be dependent. You're created to be dependent on God. And so if that's you and things might seem like they're going okay today, let me tell you that there is a day coming when the waves are going to come crashing down and there will be a time where you feel like you are drowning. For others of you, maybe you realize and you see your need for God. You see your need for his help in your life but there are still areas in your life where you're trying to keep him at a distance. What are those areas of your life? The areas of your life where you're saying, I can do it on my own. Jesus wants to uncover the areas of your life where you're trying to be self-sufficient because he is the outstretched arm who wants to take hold of you and turn you from self-sufficiency to deep dependency on him today. Mary continues, she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In remembrance of his mercy. See, the second thing that we see Mary celebrating in this part of her prayer is that Jesus is God's heart. Jesus is God's heart. He is the mercy of God who embodies compassion in action. See, in Scripture, mercy and compassion are intricately connected. They're woven together in the Bible. And one of my favorite definitions of mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is giving aid to someone in need. Someone who's in debt, who's in need of help in some way, shape, or form. Mercy is giving aid to that person, especially when they have no claim to favorable treatment. Mercy is the aid of the outstretched arm. It's the outstretched arm that grabs Wyatt as he's under water. And throughout the Old Testament, God's people are in troublesome water. See, Israel is in troublesome water and what we see throughout Israel's story in the Old Testament is that God is merciful to them. Not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. See, it's in spite of their unfaithfulness to him, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their idolatry and their injustice, the ways that they grumble about him and complain about him, but God shows them mercy. There's When you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of mercy happening. In the last 18 months, there's been a lot of Zoom happening right? We've all had Zoom meetings. There's been a lot of Zoom happening, maybe not as much now, but all of us have experienced Zoom fatigue, right? It's real. And similarly, when you read the Old Testament, it would be easy to think that God is going to get mercy fatigue in the same way that we feel Zoom fatigue, because there's so much mercy throughout the Old Testament. But thank God, that he doesn't because we need his mercy time and time and time again. But here's why God doesn't get tired of showing mercy. Here's why he doesn't get mercy fatigue and why you see so much mercy in the Old Testament. It's who he is, it's his character. See, when Moses asked God, reveal yourself, God says, okay, Moses, if you wanna know who I am and my self-revelation, I'm gonna meet you and I'm gonna tell you who I am. I'm gonna introduce myself to you. And in Exodus 34, verse six, God reveals himself to Moses and he says, Moses, this is who I am, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, And abounding in steadfast love. When God introduces Himself, He says, if you want to know something about me, the first thing that you need to know is mercy. I mean, if you want to know my name, this is what you need to know: I am merciful. And Mary praises God here in her prayer, and she's celebrating God's mercy because she knows Israel's story. She knows the story of her ancestors. And so she's proclaiming thanks to God for all of the ways that he's remembered his covenantal love for his people. But now, Mary is experiencing God's mercy for herself. Mary's experiencing God's mercy in her womb. That Jesus is God's mercy. This baby in her womb is the very mercy of God, and now he's coming into the world so that people can see and experience the beauty of God's heart. As Jesus is being formed in the womb, his hands are being formed. Mary is celebrating because these are the very hands that would one day reach out and display God's mighty acts of mercy to the world. See, there's no better picture of mercy than Jesus' life in the gospels. One of my favorite examples, places where this is so evident is in Matthew chapter nine. Because Matthew tells us in chapter nine, nine that Jesus saw a multitude of people. He saw crowds. This is what he says. Matthew writes this. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus saw these people. He saw the crowds, and they're harassed and helpless. And what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't say, oh, sucks to be them. He doesn't say, oh, man, I, I wish that they were in a different situation. Ah, oh, that's too bad. I'm gonna go on with my day. It's not what Jesus does. But as Jesus sees the crowds, it says that he feels compassion, that he's moved with compassion. And every time that Jesus feels compassion, it always leads to action in the gospels. It's because mercy is compassion in action, and Jesus is the mercy of God. And so when he sees this crowd and feels compassion, this is what he does in Matthew 9. It says that he heals every disease and affliction. He healed a paralytic. He cast out demons. He heals the blind. Jesus is God's heart who demonstrates mercy towards people. And at the end of Matthew 9, what I love is Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Church, we are the laborers who get the great joy of embodying God's mercy to others. And this is who we want to be. We want to be a people moved to action. It's the very reason why during Advent we've been saying this over and over is that we want to be a people of prayer and action in response to the God who hears our prayers and takes action. And here's what I want to say. You all have done this, and I want to thank you. I wanna thank you for the ways that you guys have been a people of compassion in action over this Advent season, over the last month. Because here's what we've been doing. Jim said it when he was up here for the announcement. We've been raising the bar, right? It's like the high jump. We keep raising the bar higher and higher, and you guys keep jumping over it. And you keep jumping over it. And just even to say thank you for the ways that you guys have been jumping over the bar this season. I remember week one, we said, hey, we want to extend mercy to incarcerated families. And so we got Angel Tree and you guys cleared that Angel Tree. Every ornament was taken off. And then the next week, It was, hey, we want to embody mercy and extend mercy to refugees who are resettling in our city, and we're gonna do this with kitchen supplies. And man, you guys have brought so many kitchen supplies to our church that the church literally looks like Bed Bath & Beyond, (laughs) okay? There's so many kitchen supplies around here. And then the next week we said, hey, for at-risk youth, we want you guys to donate shoes, but not just like any shoes. Don't donate like your ripped up yard work shoes. We challenge you to donate your best. What is the best pair of shoes that you have? And donate them. And you know what? You guys took us serious. And here's how I know. I was in the sanctuary this week, and I was walking by, and I saw somebody donated their Jordan 11s in a really sweet colorway too. And so somebody's getting a sweet pair of Js. And and I'm a sneakerhead, and I was like, okay, yes. They're taking us serious. You guys are really doing it. See, but you guys have jumped over the bar. And then we have financial generosity to our Advent offering that you guys have been giving to so that we can extend mercy to others. And so I just wanna say thank you. Thanks for doing that and participating with us in that. And also to encourage you, let's continue. As we have another opportunity that you heard about in our interview announcement with Young Lives, we have another opportunity not just to give financially, but to actually give of our time, to provide free childcare for young lives, families. And, and hear me, I got three kids. I know that childcare is the mercy of God for parents, okay? <laughs> like, I know that. And that's when you got to pay for it. And when it's free, it is the mercy of God, okay? And so we have this opportunity, See, But embodying mercy, this is not just a one-off thing that we're doing for Advent. This is the kind of people that we want to be. And it's not just who we are collectively as God's people. Yes, it is that, but it's also personally in your own life. It as you see Jesus move towards people with his mercy, his mercy moves him towards people is there someone in your life that you actually have trouble moving towards? Is there someone in your life that maybe you've been avoiding? Maybe it's the lonely neighbor that you have, or it's the coworker that you try to avoid making eye contact with, or maybe going into this week of Christmas, Maybe it's the family member who's overly opinionated and so you've distanced yourself from them. Jesus's mercy is inviting you to move towards that person even in this very week. Because mercy is compassion in action. Well, Mary continues And she closes out her prayer in verse 55. Mary prays that God's helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And now she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The last thing that Mary celebrates in her prayer that we see this morning is that Jesus is God's vow. Jesus is God's vow, and he he reveals that God keeps his promises. Mary is celebrating the promise that God made back to Abraham. Mary knows that God made this promise to Abraham and his offspring, and so she's looking back to this covenant promise that God makes to Israel that is first seen in Genesis Chapter 12, verses one through three. And this is where God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm making you a promise. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you the father of a great nation because it's through your offspring that the entirety of the world will be blessed. And so Mary knows that the arrival of Jesus in her womb is the fulfillment of this very promise that was made hundreds and hundreds of years before. God has kept his promise, and so she celebrates. See, we have a hard time keeping promise from week to week, but God has been faithful throughout the ages, through the good times and the bad, the highs and lows, through thick and thin, even in spite of Israel, his people that he made this promise to, where they have been so unfaithful to him, he has remained faithful. Jesus shows us that God keeps his promises. He always makes good on his word. See, when Wyatt was born, I made a commitment to him as my son. And the reason why I went in the ocean after him is because he's my son and I committed to him. And so because of that commitment, I'm not going to let something happen to him. So what Jesus shows us is that God is committed to us. I love movies. Um, something that Maraika and I like to do together to kind of unwind. Um, when our boys aren't running around, we get to watch movies and movies. One movie that, one, one kind of movie that I love, which you guys can give me a hard time for, but I love a good chick flick. I just do. I love a good chick flick. There's something about a sappy romance story that gets me every time. The good old Nicholas Sparks. I, I love the Nicholas Sparks story. They're super predictable, but you know what? I love it. And here's the thing Marika's not complaining about it because she likes it too. So, and you know what? This time of year, I make her watch Home Alone one and two a hundred times during Christmas season, so it's, it's a way that I can, you know, pay that back. But really, I do love sappy romance uh, movies, and there's one, though, that I like more than all of the others. It's a movie called The Vow with Channing Tatum, Rachel McAdams. Who's seen The Vow? Raise your hand. All right. Got some folks. So if you've seen it, you know. It's an awesome love story. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna let you in on something. And then I recommend that you watch it if you wanna see a good love story. Someone told me the book is even better after the last service, but um, I've only seen the movie. So here's what happens. Channing Tatum, Rachel McAdams, in the movie, they are newly married. They're newlyweds and... Tragically, shortly after they get married, they're in a really bad car accident. And that really bad car accident causes her, Rachel McAdams, the wife, to suffer severe head trauma. And Because of this severe head trauma, she forgets everything. She forgets the entirety of their dating relationship, she forgets their wedding, she forgets her husband altogether. She has no idea who this man is. But that's why the story is so good. He is faithful to the vow that he made on their wedding day. That's why it's called the vow. He's faithful to the promise that he made to her on their wedding day. And so what that means is that even though there's a wide open door for him to walk away from her and to walk away from the marriage because she has no idea who he is, he doesn't. But he's committed to loving her. He's committed to pursuing her. And in the hospital after the accident, it's his outstretched arm that takes a hold of her where he says, I'm not leaving you. And the rest of the movie tells the story about how he is committed to pursuing her so that she will fall back in love with him all over again. That's amazing, right? Like legitimately, that's an amazing love story. You can't hear that and say, oh yeah, that's terrible. (laughs) And so, I, I remember watching that for the first time, and I'm like, "This is an amazing fairy tale love story. Like, this story is so good. Who thought of this? Like, who wrote this?" And so I, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Thanks. <laughs> hey, he's gonna come up here and finish the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, too good. So I thought it was a fairy tale, but I looked it up online, right? And as I looked it up, I found out it's not a fairy tale, as you just heard. It's a true story. (laughs) It's a true story about a couple named Kim and Cricket Carpenter. And that blew my mind even that much more. I'm like, who are these people? I want to meet these people. This story is amazing. And then, yeah, want was right. Someone else knows a spoiler. Then someone else texted after the last service and said, hey, I know that couple, and they got divorced. What? (laughs) Come on. So Jim, Jim Mullins comes up to me. He said, hey, man, dude, I got a text. They got divorced. I was like, well, you know what? That movie is still awesome and I'm still using I'm still using it in my sermon. <laughs> Cuz it just illustrates my point that much more about Jesus. <laughs> oh man. So they're man, the they're still married in the movie. See so you guys are awesome. <laughs> so before I knew that they got divorced, I found out that they're that this is a, a real couple. And I was asking myself, how can a story this beautiful about faithfulness be true? And clearly that story ended for them because they got divorced, which raises the question even that much more. Because even the depiction of their faithfulness ended at some point in time. But the Christmas story of faithfulness is not a fairy tale either. The Christmas story is not a fairy tale. It is real, it is true, and it is far more beautiful than the movie, The Vow, because Jesus is God's vow to us. The Christmas story is about the faithfulness of Jesus who comes for his bride. You are his bride. And you have forgotten who you were made for because of the trauma of the fall when sin gave you spiritual amnesia. But, but, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. And Christmas is about how God has remembered you. It's about how his mercy has come to you in Jesus. And Christmas is where Jesus stretches out his arm and takes hold of you so that you can experience the beauty of his love. Amen? Amen. What I know is that some of you are here today and you feel like you're drowning, Christmas is good news because Jesus is the outstretched arm of God who saves you. Some of you are here this morning and you feel like God doesn't care. Christmas is good news because Jesus reveals his heart is for you and he extends his mercy to you. Some of you are here this morning, and you feel forgotten. But this is a hard season. The holidays come around every year, and it's painful, and you feel forgotten. But Christmas is good news because Jesus is faithful, and he never forgets you, and he never forgets his promise. It says we close Mary's prayer, the Magnificat. Mary celebrates the arrival of Jesus because he is the arm of God that stretches out to take hold, because he is the heart of God who extends mercy, and because he is the vow of God who fulfills the promises that were made so long ago. And so I want to invite you to celebrate in the same way that Mary celebrates in this prayer. We want to celebrate Jesus and we're gonna do that by taking communion because as we take communion here in a few moments, this is where God dove into the water that you were drowning in. This is where he dove into the water with his body and he shed his blood as he was rescuing you in order to save you. And so as we partake in communion, let us celebrate Jesus, that the bread represents his body that was freely given for us and his blood is represented in the wine or the juice that was shed for us. And so with that, let us close as we pray. Jesus we thank you for this season of Advent, Lord, that means arrival. As we celebrate your arrival, Jesus, we celebrate that you are the very arm of God that reaches out to save us or to save us from what we're drowning in in life, but ultimately to save us from our sin, Jesus. That you are God's heart, the very mercy of God who has come to extend your mercy to us And Jesus, we thank you that you are the vow, that you show that God keeps his word, that we can trust in you and rely on you. And so Jesus, I wanna pray that you would convict and that you would challenge those this morning who are trying to be self-sufficient. Lord, that you would uncover those areas, the ways that we're keeping you at a distance and saying, no, I can do it on my own. Jesus, that you would empower us with your spirit that we could embody your mercy in the world, Lord, through Advent, but also, Lord, not just this season, but that we, we would be a merciful people, Lord, who are mo- that we move towards people. And Jesus, that you would bring great comfort to those, Lord, who have experienced broken promises and unfaithfulness in life, Lord, that you would be the comforter, that they would know that you will never break your promise, but you are faithful. And so, Holy Spirit, would you meet us now, Lord, as we worship you, Lord, we wanna celebrate in the same way that Mary celebrated in this prayer, in this song, Lord, throughout the ages, Lord, that we wanna sing with her as we respond to the good news of your arrival, amen.